Welcome to the Aspieland Podcast. I'm your host, John Allen. Come with me on an adventure into the world of Asperger's Syndrome, also called Autism Spectrum Disorder. Everyone is welcome here, whether you have the disorder or you're interested in learning more about it. We're here to help you understand, share, and relate. We're just about to get started, so come on in. Greetings and welcome once again to Aspieland, a place where everyone, regardless of whether you're on the spectrum or you're a neurotypical, is welcome and accepted. Our goal in these podcasts is to help both the person with Asperger's Syndrome Autism Spectrum Disorder and the person who is neurotypical come together and learn about each other and accept one another. And we do this by looking at life through each other's eyes. My name is John Allen, your host, and I'm joined this week again by my lovely wife, Kathy. Hello, hello, hello. And our friend, Carrie. Hi. Carrie, thank you so much for being back with us. We we had such a good conversation starting, and then it was like, oh, we ran out of time. So we're so glad you were able to join us again for this. Thank you for having me back. Yes, you have a, a great amount of knowledge and wisdom and uh, have some really good stories to share. So we appreciate your time in doing this with us. And we're going to continue our conversation with Carrie about autistic children in the medical community. Now, we left off on the last podcast talking about when you were teaching the ICU staff about recognizing children with autism and specifically some of the things that can affect children when in the hospital. So let's pick up from there. Yeah, I mean, the lights, the sounds. I mean, think about the sounds in the hospital, Mm -hmm. all the beeps and the pumps, you know, the pumps of your meds or uh, any anything sounds you know of people hollering in the hallway Mm -hmm. there's so many things that could really affect a child with autism and that's not even considering like are they verbal yeah Uh, right are they nonverbal? because this was a children's hospital Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and thankfully they had child life specialists that would be able to print off pictures for kids Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that i encouraged is if you can set like some of these kids thrive on structure so if you, if you know, hey, you're here and you can watch cartoons here, eat your, your breakfast will be here about this time yeah. and set up that visual schedule. Here's where we have to take our meds and then mm-hmm. we're going to go for an x-ray here. You know, mm-hmm. anything you can do to help them, because even like leaving their hospital room could set a kid off. Like, where are we going? What are we, you know, right, right. I don't know. It's the unknown. Mm-hmm. So even if you can set them up. Those little things, that's not to say that they didn't have their issues, but maybe Mm -hmm. their meltdowns wouldn't be so severe. Right, right. It would bring some peace and calm and comfort to them. That's a great, those were great, great suggestions, great points. I know there was one example you were talking to us about, and this might be in going along with what you're saying, you mentioned about it is important for people to understand if they have, you know, hopefully a parent caregiver who is able to communicate with staff ahead of time, that's awesome. And you don't always know the thought that was coming to me, and this is another discussion for another time, but often girls are often underdiagnosed uh, on the spectrum. Right. And in our readings and studies, we find that 
you know, that's often an overlooked piece. So something to keep in the back of the mind for people who are interacting with children to um, just to be just to have some space inside of you to be aware that we might have to be making accommodations along the way. And children need accommodations just in general, but these special things. And one of the things that you brought up you were, as we were chatting, was the fact that like about medications and taking it with certain things and very right. specific. Right. I had a friend who's, I think her son had autism and to get him to take any sort of pill, he had to take it with a Coca-Cola or milk. And she told the story that she was frustrated because he was in the hospital for something. And every time the nurse came in, they brought juice. And she was like, he needs Coca-Cola or he needs milk. And they just kind of looked at her like, really? Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, really. Like, if you mm-hmm. want to prevent a meltdown mm-hmm. and you want him to take his meds, bring in a little can of Coca-Cola or bring in, you know, some milk for him to take it with. It, I mean, it, it seems silly mm-hmm. <laughs> to say that, but for some kids, if that's what helps, and it could be, you know, we don't know. It mm-hmm. could have been like the fizz of the soda pop that yes. helped the feeling of the peel going down or the thickness of the milk versus the thinness of juice. Yes. I mean, kids are so unique in yes. that aspect that whatever helps get that pill down by Jove, like mm-hmm. as a parent, yeah, I'll give you a little eight ounces of soda pop if that's mm-hmm. what's going to help you take this pill. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. That's so. fair. That's fair. And it isn't about being spoiled right. or anything, you know, that they're being demanding or whatever. It's right. just this is, you know, an accommodation that can be made right. and uh, make things go a lot smoother. And if you do it, then you won't have the meltdown. Like right. The kid, will, the kid will be like, oh, medicine time, and, mm-hmm. you know, I've got what I need. Yes, yes. So oh, that's good. That's good. And I think there was something to... I don't know if it was your situation or your friends. Somebody was going, maybe it was Dylan going to the emergency room, and um, they were going to put you back out in the uh, waiting room? Was yeah. It? Okay. Dylan had split his eyebrow open mm. and was bleeding like a stuck pig. <laughs> and I had called the ICU and talked to one of our charge nurses. And I'm like, is he going to bleed out before mm-hmm. we get there? Like, can I put him in the car? <laughs> they were like, yep, bring him in. And I'm assuming that our charge nurse had called ahead to the ER and said, hey, this little guy's coming in. Um, He's got autism. And so when we walked in, they were like, one of the receptionists was like, yeah, go ahead. You guys go have a seat. And the care partner walked out and was like, no, that kid is autistic. We're going to get him back. I've got a room already ready for him. Mm, And so they were able to go ahead and get us back, which... And that stressful situation. Right, as right. As your kid is like bleeding. Mm-hmm. Right. Let me ask a quick question because you mentioned preventing meltdowns. Yes. Did you have to do any sort of teaching about dealing with a meltdown specifically? Because that, once someone on the spectrum has a meltdown, there are certain things you do and certain things you definitely don't do uh, about that. And I just was wondering if you did any of that. Because, again, I feel like meltdowns are unique to a child. Yes. Some kids, you know, would do well in a bear hug. Mm -hmm. Some kids don't touch them at all. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good answer (laughs) because you're like, now what do I do? Like, do I touch Mm -hmm. them? Do I don't touch them? Mm -hmm. I do know that, like, the hospital had 
weighted blankets and weighted vests that I encouraged, you know, like if you have an autistic child, talk to Mm -hmm. the parent. Is that something that would be beneficial to have in the room Mm -hmm. while the patient stays there? Mm -hmm. So you have it on hand and you can grab it and if needed. Hopefully there's always a parent with the child to be able, you know, to help them calm because again, the parent Mm -hmm. is going to be the expert on their kid. Right, right. So just having resources available was one of the big things I said. And then just kind of, if parents are there, assisting the parent in that. Yes. In that role Mm -hmm. to help the kid calm. Right. Okay. And and hopefully staff is passing along to other staff in reports or whatever that this this is helpful. This is what we're doing. Right. So there's some continuity of care and that piece of information. Right. If mom and dad aren't here, this is what they say to do, yes. you know, types of situations. Right. So, so. Did, did you have similar, or I don't know if, if similar is a good word, but did you have any of those, uh, any issues when he goes like to the doctor's office? Is that, that a totally different and you don't have any problems or did you have to say anything to a doctor and says, you know, uh, that's not a good idea. What kind of a thing? Um, our doc- Like giving shots and stuff like that is what I'm thinking of. Right. Our pediatrician was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, very thankful and blessed that we had him during these, you know, first few years of Dylan's life to walk with us mm-hmm. through all of this stuff. Like when it came time for shots for Dylan, mm-hmm. we knew we had to hold him down. Mm-hmm. There was absolutely no way he was going to just allow the nurse to come up to him like and her hold his legs, give him the shot and move on. Mm-hmm. Like we had a hand across his chest. His legs were between our legs. Like we literally had to hold him down and he knew what was coming. <laughs> but then afterwards, as soon as she put that bandaid on and we got his pants back on or whatever, mm-hmm. it was just like release, let him go. And to this day, I still can't tell you, is it the fact that he was getting a shot or is it the fact that we were holding him down (laughs) that made him so upset? Because typically once we let him go, he'd be okay. I mean, he might look at us and be like, ouch, you know, (laughs) that hurts. But beyond that, he was okay. Mm -hmm. Silly little things. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the whole thing. I mean, it's the whole raising a child with autism is a lot of little tiny things that people in the medical community may not just, that just doesn't occur to them. They've got a lot of other training going on right. in their head when they're there. So it just doesn't occur to them. So. Right. Yeah, the patient nuance. That's yes. the thing, yeah, to advocate for that. Because it's, it's important, and that's the idea with what you were doing and the education and and what we're trying to do is just raise awareness because I'm learning. I'm sitting here learning from you. Uh, it's just amazing. Did you, how was your instructions received from the staff? I think everybody enjoyed the, like the instruction time, because if you know me, I had some humor in there. Yes. (laughs) You know, like I remember sending out a letter to our family and my, one of the things, telltale signs of autism is spinning and flapping. And Mm -hmm. I said something about Dylan spinning and my stepdad was like, it's like a creepy exorcist type of spin. And I'm like, no, no. And in my presentation, I had a little video of Dylan with the book. And he was just spinning around mm-hmm. looking at the book. Yeah. And he just kept spinning mm-hmm. and kept spinning. Wow. And I'm like, now I had to stop him. But he did not have that 
sensor in him that this is going to make me sick. Like mm-hmm. he would just spin. And we had multiple adults, you know, you know, that would watch Dylan who would say, we had to stop him spinning. He was making us feel <laughs> nauseous watching him spin. But he was just playing and just like spinning mm-hmm. in a circle. Mm-hmm. So like those little type of funny moments that I can joke about because let's face it. I mean, sometimes they are funny just to mm-hmm. watch a kid and how are they like, he's not tripping over himself. He just keeps going. Right. So I hope that, that they did learn some maybe things that would help them when they encountered mm-hmm. a autistic patient. Um, but then to also see that it's okay to laugh at some of the silly things that they do, that mm-hmm. they can do. Mm-hmm. So, right. So, is there anything if you were if you were talking to medical staff today who are working with patients on the spectrum is there anything particular you would like to send with them or have them think about definitely if children's hospitals are listening start education uh, for those new hires coming in mm-hmm. um when mm-hmm. i left vanderbilt my mom did it for a few months, but then she called me laughing and said they got a professional in there. Oh. And I was like, it's about time. <laughs> but, I mean, definitely just start some form of education. Mm-hmm. What's the likelihood that they'll come into contact with a patient with autism? Just how can they help? How can they help that patient's stay go smoother? Yes. How can they encourage and help parents? Because Mm -hmm. that's a big thing for kids, I feel like. If a parent sees staff trying, Mm -hmm. it speaks like huge volumes to the parent saying, oh, okay, I I don't have to be on my guard Mm -hmm. fighting for advocating and fighting for my kid all the time. Right. Because they have some knowledge. Yes. So then maybe parents can feel comfortable saying to work with my kid this is what we need, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And yes. so for parents, have that kind of list of when you hear how your child stays going to be, if they need that coke or milk to take their pills right. or a weighted blanket, if you right. can't bring one from home or what, like whatever's going to help your child have a successful stay. Mm-hmm. And the nursing staff can help you with that and the doctors can help you like vocalize it, advocate that for your kid. Mm-hmm. And then also for the medical community to mm-hmm. not just think this kid is spoiled or privileged or mm-hmm. like right. whatever right. word you want to fill in there, but that this is what this kid needs to have a successful stay at the hospital. Yes. The key word is listen, really listen and pay attention to. And I, uh, the one of the, the resource that uh, we had talked about on one of the previous podcasts that had interviewed a lot of people. It was, it was adults mainly. And the challenges they were having in the medical community, that kind of really struck me because they, the, one of the biggest issues is they weren't being recognized and heard as adults. So yeah. children, you know, really need... Because they're emotionally, they're still working out all this stuff. And it's, it's difficult to... It's difficult to advocate for yourself. Yes, yes, as and a I, child, not yet, like impossible. <laughs> right, and I think, like, that's one of the areas we've been trying to work with Dylan in mm-hmm. is advocating for himself, mm-hmm. which sometimes he does really great at and sometimes he struggles with. And so I don't know if he were put into, like, a medical-type setting emergently mm-hmm. how he would do if 
if the pressures and the stimulation would be too much for him right. to process through to be able to vocalize. Mm -hmm. So definitely just like take that time to pause and listen and help them sort through what's going on. Right. Because that can take time. Yes, exactly. Yes. Because it can take it. It's time. And right. so and that can help to calm the situation and calm the person and what they're going through. And they'll be able to can move forward with whatever plan of care needs right. to occur in that setting. And is there anything particular you want to encourage parents of children on the spectrum with? Just advocate for your kid. Mm -hmm. And yes. then once they're old enough, start teaching them how to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Not like we've always told Dylan, it's never an excuse. Mm -hmm. Autism is not, well, I have autism. You can't play that card. Like mm -hmm. to get out of something or as an excuse, but definitely as an educating aspect. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Dylan got in the car one time and... He was, the car wasn't even started. And he was like, can we turn the music on? And I'm like, not yet, because we haven't even started the car. And I said, just give us time to mm -hmm. like get in, because the car said it'll get buckled. And he was like, you know, I have autism, right? And I'm like, no, no, that's <laughs> not an excuse for you saying that. Like you have, you have to be aware of your context of what's mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. And I said, and you can never use it as an excuse. So even, Good example. <laughs> so even he's had some misunderstanding with teachers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we know social is not his strong suit. Mm -hmm. And so I've told him, I've given him the verbiage, mm -hmm. Dylan, you can walk up to your teacher and say, I have autism and I know my autism impairs my social. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not able to read yours and I's relationship very well. Mm -hmm. That's and great. I yeah. I, this is what I'm feeling from you. I feel like you're upset with me for some reason and I don't know why. Mm -hmm. If you can help me understand, then maybe I can fix it or I won't do it again. Right. Okay. That's great. That's and, great. That's really good. Mm -hmm. And he's looked at me and he goes, but I'm telling him I have autism. That's not an excuse. I said, no, no. You're telling them you have autism, and this is what it impedes. It impedes mm -hmm. my a my ability to read a social situation. Right, right. You're not just arbitrarily saying, well, I have autism. I can't do that. Right. You're and giving I, them the reason and then the context. Right, and to be able to make accommodations, to right. be able to, right. to exactly. change your paradigm of what's happening right. in the situation. And there's learning involved there. Yes. There's learning involved from the teacher, and there's learning involved from Dylan to be able to say, I need help with this. Yes. Yeah. Help me understand that. So for parents, I would definitely say, advocate for your kid. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. also when they're old enough, teach them to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Because yeah. that'll go a long way. Yes. Yes. Gee, I wish we all, <laughs> we all need help with that sometimes. Right. With being able to. Uh... I can tell my son a lot easier than I can do that for myself. <laughs> That's just the truth. I know. I know. I was thinking, oh, I need. <laughs> Those are good, good things. Thank you for telling me that, Karen. <laughs> Having being able to have the presence of mind to be able to say, I am feeling difficult. This situation is difficult for me right. and recognizing that. That's huge. That's yep. a great, that's awesome. That was a perfect thing. So thank you for sharing that. All right. So <laughs> it looks like this will wrap up our time together. Well, thank you, Carrie, for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, we appreciate you being on Aspie Land. All right. It would be. Yes, it would be. <laughs> I've said that. 
I'm advocating for myself. Yes, you are. You are. <laughs> Please, if you have a chance, get on the website, aspieland.org, and get to the subscription page, which is a real cool page. You can just get there, fill out this little form. It takes maybe a minute. And then you'll be all set up with us here, not just on your podcast provider. So we can get you all set up to get emails every time there's a new podcast coming up. Also, if you get a chance, please donate to the podcast. We'd like to keep this going as long as we can, and your donations would really help. So we'll be back again. And so stay safe, and we'll see you next time in Aspieland. Thanks for listening to the Aspieland Podcast. If you like this podcast, pass the word. This podcast is for everyone, whether you have Asperger's syndrome or not. Because the more who listen, the better our opportunity to become more sensitive and compassionate, not only to those who have the disorder, but to all humankind as well. Thanks for visiting, and I hope you'll listen again.